Hey everyone, it's 11.03. Let's get started. I'm Mark Dickinson. I'm one of the business development managers at ProServe IT. Today, however, I'm pleased to be the host of our webinar, Windows Virtual Desktop for K-12, Student Engagement, Secure Remote Access, and more. We've got a lot of great content today, but first, I'd like to introduce the individuals who are gonna take us through it all. We have Bill Kastner, a solutions architect at ProServe IT, and Karen McGregor, Azure Sherpa at Microsoft Canada. Welcome, Bill and Karen. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. We have a Thanks, large Mark. group. We have a large group and a fair bit of content. Please questions in the question tab on the GoToWebinar platform to, to the right, and we'll answer some of the questions at the end of the presentation. This is being recorded, and a link will be sent to all participants in a few days. Okay, so let's get started. I think we can all agree these are unprecedented times. Individuals and businesses alike have had to make significant decisions rapidly, not the least of which is how to address delivering remote work, uh, remote work experiences. Education institutions are in need of a solid, highly available platform that can provide their staff and students with the secure access they need to distance learning resources. Bill and Karen, I'll show you how Microsoft's Windows Virtual Desktop can meet the challenge head-on, whether you're delivering application access or full desktops. For this, I'm going to turn it over to the experts. Take it away, Bill and Karen. That's great. Thank you, Mark, and welcome, everyone. Uh, so this, this morning, from an agenda perspective, uh, we're going to walk through the introductions, uh, walk through Windows Virtual Desktop as a solution, provide a demo of the WVD experience, discuss recent updates to Windows Virtual Desktop, and then finish with some Q&A. When we look at Windows Virtual Desktop in the education space, there's a couple key uh, items that I think bring significant value. Uh, first is it provides the ability for, um, for institutions to provide students with access to labs, applications, and virtual machines via the internet from anywhere on any device at any time. And as Mark mentioned, given where we stand today uh, from a global perspective, this is invaluable. Microsoft's VDI solution also, allow, also allows for quick deployment. Um, for those who might be familiar with you know, traditional on-prem solutions and, and understand the complexities around some of those deployments, um, this is a far simpler solution that allows us to get desktops up and running in, in minutes versus you know, days or weeks. You're also able to leverage existing licensing for those who've already made investments in the M365 uh, educational licensing. The solution also supports BYOD devices as there's no dependencies on any hardware on the client side. We're able to support clients of a variety of, of sources, whether it's Windows or Mac, iOS or Android. Uh, we're able to support clients of a wide range of, of different platforms. So students are able to use devices they're comfortable with without IT having to take on any responsibility for, for managing or installing software on those devices. Lastly, you're able to continue to use existing infrastructure and hardware that's been uh, invested in while continuing or while adopting Microsoft's WVD solution to provide a robust front end, including GPU support where appropriate. So when we look at Windows Virtual Desktop, um, it is an Azure native service. Um, so this is, as I mentioned, Microsoft's foray into the, the VDI space. 
as many of you are aware, we've had remote desktop services and, and offerings from other vendors in this space before. But this is Microsoft's first real initiative to provide a, uh, a pure desktop-based experience uh, based off of a Windows 10 platform. This solution provides students and faculty with the ability to, to host both managed uh, pooled or personal desktops, as well as remote application publishing. Um, because it is an Azure solution, um, there's minimal infrastructure required to set up, which we'll dive deeper into uh, in, in further slides. And we have the ability to manage costs by only running infrastructure that's required for the given workload at any point in time. We're also able to tie into existing security and management solutions that you may already be leveraging today for Active Directory or Azure Active Directory. And we can leverage solutions such as group policy management and other Windows management tools to manage these uh, Windows 10 desktops the same as we would traditional on-prem uh, desktops. So when we look at the concepts behind uh, Windows Virtual Desktop, um, first and foremost, as mentioned, this is an Azure solution. So all of our services really run in that Azure space. Um, we build our infrastructure in Azure. We consume memory, CPU, and disk in, in that Azure space. And then we publish this through a secure HTTPS connection to our client endpoint, where they can leverage either a full-blown remote desktop client or a web browser to connect to, to their virtual desktop with no resources being consumed on the client device. Um, again, this is just a, a screen uh, share, essentially, of, of what's actually transpiring in that Azure workspace. So we have no real dependencies on any of the infrastructure on that, that endpoint device. When we look at the technical, technical innovations in Windows Virtual Desktop, uh, first and foremost, this is a multi-user Windows 10 experience, which makes this rather unique. Um, historically, for organizations and institutions that have required to provide uh, full-blown client desktops based off of Windows 7 or, or Windows 10 uh, versus you know, server-based uh, multi-session environments, we've typically been stuck in, in a one-to-one -one ratio where to provide a, a true Windows 10 experience to users, um, each user is provided a personal desktop that maintains all of their in individual characteristics, their profile, their applications and such. But the challenge we often see is these machines are often underutilized. Um, and can have larger management requirements as we're supporting a large number of desktops. Through the multi-user Windows 10 session that Microsoft provides, we're able to consolidate this infrastructure into a, a smaller, uh, smaller number of, of workstations with a much higher density of users, which makes it far easier to manage and to ensure we're, we're achieving sufficient utilization across that, the, the workloads. When we look at support infrastructure, for those who may have deployed, uh, again, either remote desktop services or other um, VDI-based solutions, there's typically a number of, of server components required to support the infrastructure, whether it's brokers, gateways, licensing servers. All these pieces typically need to build up around the, the actual virtual desktop infrastructure itself to support it. But in a Microsoft Azure solution, all of these concerns go away as Microsoft provides, provides all these services and a platform as a service or PaaS-based offering which allows you as an IT administrator to focus in on the core pieces you truly care about, which is the actual desktops themselves. We do support a wide range of clients, uh, as mentioned, whether Windows, Mac, iOS, or Android, as well as HTML5 uh, to support other clients. So any HTML5 browser um, that a user has access to will support this remote desktop or WBD session. And this allows users to access either their full-blown desktop or applications as published. Lastly, through Microsoft's acquisition of FSLogix, we're able to provide a profile management solution 
that simplifies our deployments and allows us to take advantage of cool desktops as user profile information is extracted from the, the virtual machine itself, is stored on a separate VHD that gets mounted at a login that provides a quick and seamless experience for users. So looking at the architecture end to end, as mentioned, so we start with our, our client machines um, that can be anywhere in the world. We do have the ability to, to define parameters through conditional access and such to define where we allow clients in from. Uh, but again, from a client perspective, it's just a matter of, of deploying the, the agent or, or logging into the website. Uh, we leverage Microsoft's virtual PaaS infrastructure to provide our, our gateway web and broker services. And then with our, within our own Azure subscription, we're able to build out the, the virtual infrastructure for, to support our users be that desktops or applications, along with the user profile information. From that Azure subscription, we can tie back to our on-prem infrastructure, either through VPN or ExpressRoute, uh, to provide access to additional Active Directory services or application and file services as needed. So what makes Windows Virtual Desktop unique? Uh, first and foremost, as mentioned, it's a Windows 10 multi-user experience. Um, so this is something we haven't seen before. Uh, typically, when looking to apply a level of user density to a, a VDI solution, we've typically been dependent on server-based OSs. Um, so you know, whether it's terminal services or remote desktop services um, or other uh, third-party solutions, typically, in order to get a level of density on a, a given VM, we need to look at a server-based operating system. Microsoft's virtual, Windows Virtual Desktop allows us to have that same user density, but on a, a full-blown client Windows 10 OS. Because this is an Azure solution, we also have a broad range of options on how to build this infrastructure out. Uh, for those who might be familiar with Azure, you know, there's a wide range of, of VM sizings and types available, some including uh, graphic processors or GPUs. All of these same models are available to us to act as Windows 10 desktops. Because this is still a Windows 10 experience, even if it, if it is multi-user, we do have binary compatibility. Any of your applications that run today in Windows 10 should continue to run in a WBD session without issue. Um, this is an Azure-only solution. Um, so for those organizations that may not have made investments in Azure, um, this is a requirement to support the solution. As mentioned, we do have the ability to tie back to on-prem infrastructure to access uh, traditional applications and resources but there's no ability to deploy the WBD solution on-prem. It does require that Azure subscription. And lastly, as, as highlighted previously, these are just regular Windows 10 desktops. So we're able to manage and support them the same as we would any other Windows 10 uh, desktop inside of the environment. So what makes WBD unique, as mentioned, is a lot of it comes down to this multi-session um, philosophy that the Microsoft has introduced for Windows 10. Um, historically, when we're looking to provide that full desktop experience to an end user, um, each user has their own dedicated machine. Um, and typically, these machines are largely under, underutilized. Um, we also face the challenge that providing each individual user their own separate standalone desktop introduces a, a large range of desktops that we need to, to monitor, patch, and manage. And this can be unwieldy for IT. When we look at WVD, excuse me, we're able to consolidate this into a, a much more, uh, much heavier utilized infrastructure. My animations don't work, um, but we have the ability to basically consolidate all of these user experiences into single or or uh, fewer desktops that prove much higher density. Um, so typically, yeah, my animations not happy. Um, so 
typically the experience allows us to to run a much smaller pool of desktops, um, stack 5, 10, 15 users or more, depending on, on what that uh, VM infrastructure looks like. We're able to provide that same or better end user experience while reducing the burden on IT as it reduces the number of systems we need to manage. and also helps us provide cost savings as we're able to keep a smaller number of, of virtual machines running at any given point in time. So talking about licensing, um, many customers already have eligibility for Windows Virtual Desktop. Um, and this is important to note. So for organizations who've made investments in Microsoft 365, uh, from an education perspective, that's typically the A3 or the A5 uh, license along with student use benefits, or have made investments in Windows 10 education, A3 or A5, you have entitlement and all the licensing required to deploy Windows Virtual Desktop. On the server side, should you have a traditional remote desktop service environment that you want to port to, to Azure's uh, WVD, which absolutely is an option, if you have a remote desktop service or RDS Cal license with existing software assurance, again, you are fully entitled to the, or you have all the license entitlements required to make this solution possible. Obviously, we do have Azure consumption that needs to be a consideration as well. Um, but as mentioned, this is a solution that is very easy to license, very easy to support. Um, and many organizations or institutions already have these licenses in place. Because this is an Azure solution, from a consumption perspective, which is basically our, our permanent billing for resources in Azure, um, the nice thing is we're only paying for the resources that we're actually consuming at that point in time. Uh, we do have the ability to scale up and scale down so that we're not running unnecessary infrastructure with those associated charges to them. We have the ability to sort of manage how that, that happens. When we talk about pricing uh, for Windows Virtual Desktop, um, we've sort of built out a, a couple different scenarios here. Um, I will note these are our USD prices, so for those Canadian customers online, um, we'll need to make some adjustments there. Um, but you can see we have four different examples here. One, the top one being our heavy graphics workload. Um, all of these are based off of 100 concurrent users. Our heavy graphics workload uh, VMs actually have the embedded GPUs, uh, which are specific to those um, to that requirement. Um, and as we go down the list, you can see we've got examples of heavy, medium, and light workload uh, users. You can see our student cost per month um, that's, that's estimated. And you note sort of on the right-hand side, we have a couple of different columns. Um, so pay-as-you-go is your traditional monthly uh, monthly expenditure. You, you spin up the infrastructure, and you just pay for those resources as you consume. Reserved instances are a, a scenario that Microsoft has introduced. Uh, that allow customers to prepay for infrastructure that is going to run on a continuous basis. Um, so we can obviously savings anywhere from 40 to 50%, depending on, on which reserved instance model you select and the specific use you're looking at. But leveraging a reserved instance model allows uh, organizations or institutions to provide some significant savings um, by making those investments. One other thing to note around reserved instances historically it was a requirement to to pay for the reserved instance at date of signature. So if you're looking at a one-year reserved instance, while you might be saving 40 to 50% over your, your annualized cost, there was an expectation to pay the entire year up front on day one. Uh, in recent months, Microsoft has made a change to that requirement where you can make the, the you can apply a reserved instance, but continue to play in a monthly cycle. Um, this gives customers a great deal of flexibility in how they actually manage this provided they, they recognize that this infrastructure is going to run for a set period of time and reserved instances make sense. It's a fantastic opportunity to introduce uh, some additional savings into the environment uh, to make this a more cost-effective solution for those organizations that are able to take advantage of that.
And Bill, before you move up that slide, just a, just a brief moment, because it's just so key to many of our customers. We, we want to focus on the fact this is 100 concurrently active users. And the one thing we know about education workloads versus maybe workloads in a, um, in a more common business scenario is there's points when they're busy and there are points when they're not busy. And you can see from this data here that in, for example, the top, the top level item, we've got at the max, we need seven beefy uh, VMs to accommodate your 100 concurrent active users. You can get a sense for where the economies around scaling down when you don't need them and scaling up when you do, and you'll see that coming back. This is going to be part of the, the, um, the challenge of deploying Windows Virtual Desktop, but then also your flexibility is to figure out what is that balance between what's a good level that accommodates baseline users and how do you scale up. So part of this is understanding the mix of the VMs or the types of activities the users need to have, the types of, of workloads they're going to need, and then also how that usage pattern scales up and down. We'll come back to that later. I just did want to put a pin on it while we were here so that the attendees could kind of see the impact as it would to pricing because really you're only pricing, you're only paying per minute. We've aggregated it per month because that's an easy way to look at it. Um, usually 100 concurrently active students means it's uh, somewhere around 1,000 or maybe even more than that, you know, named students because they're not all active all the time. That's another dimension when it comes to education. Perfect. Thank you, Karen. So next we want to go through some of the, the updates we've seen to Windows Virtual Desktop. Um, so for any of you who might have um, sampled or, or played with, with Windows Virtual Desktop or built any sort of a proof of concept environment over the last couple of months um, since release. We'll understand that, you know, historically to, to stand up Windows Virtual Desktop has been a PowerShell heavy experience. Um, end of April, Microsoft released or their version two of the WBD experience that actually provides us a full uh, GUI interface to manage and set up this infrastructure. So no longer are we dependent on, on PowerShell commands to build and, and support this. This now appears as a full blade in the Azure Portal Manager, which significantly simplifies the process of deployment and management. Uh, other updates that were introduced end of April is we now have the ability to, to publish uh, resources to user groups versus individual users. And we're also able to leverage role-based access controller RBAC um, to build or to manage the security around the environment as well. So one of the things I wanted to touch on was how we manage applications, because um, this is an important important concept. So as, as highlighted previously in the webinar, you know these are traditional Windows 10 desktops, which means we have a number of different mechanisms we can use for for managing our applications. For those institutions that do have SCCM or leveraging Intune, you can continue to support these WVD devices the same as you do on-prem uh, traditional desktops. You can deploy your SCCM agent or, or Intune. You can publish applications to these desktops. You can update applications and treat them exactly the same as you would any of your traditional user desktops. As well, organizations who've built out existing gold images and choose to embed those applications inside those images can, can continue to support that model as well. Um, so we do have a mechanism in place to allow you to import those existing images if you want to be able to get up and running quickly inside of, of WVD. You can continue to support that solution. For organizations who, who overload VMs, 
essentially loading, you know, multiple application streams for, for multiple departments or multiple user groups into a particular VM. Through the acquisition of FS Logics, we do have the ability to do app masking. So if you do have a VM that has, it's overloaded with applications, we have the ability to hide ones that aren't relevant to a given user. So that's an increased flexibility over what many organizations see today. All of those are really more historical approaches to, to how we manage applications. Uh, what's new with Windows Virtual Desktop is the concept of application attach leveraging MSIX. So MSIX is an application packaging solution uh, that works with any of our standard executables, be it XE, MSI, ClickOnce, AbV, or any other type of application. Rather than installing the application in the VM itself, the installation process actually creates a standalone VHD that contains all the information relevant to that given application. Uh, so all the registry entries, all the, the binaries, you know, all the other pieces that are required, all that is maintained in a separate VHD that gets attached as part of the login experience. And that means we don't deal with any registry router leftover artifacts in the VM from these applications. It's a simple packaging and deployment solution, and it makes it very easy for our state applications uh, over time as it's a single instance of that application that we need to manage. Applications and applications are installed per use. So again, we don't have that bloat experience where we have a number of, of additional applications in a VM that aren't relevant to the user. We can tailor that VM experience specific to that user. And because these applications are maintained outside of the actual Windows 10 image itself in a standalone VHD, there is tamper protection in place. Um, this is definitely the future of, of applications from a WVD perspective. Um, we're going to walk through the experience itself from a login, from an end user perspective. So this is going to show us MIS, MSIX, the app attach process. So we have a user here who logs into her Windows 10 virtual desktop. Um, as Karen displayed in, in her demo, the first thing that's going to happen is she's going to get prompted for authentication. Uh, once she authenticates, she's going to obtain her WVD feed. The broker connection is going to attach her to a VM inside of her assigned host pool. And then FS Logics will load that user profile that we have maintained on a separate VHD as part of that login experience. Next, WVD will, will read the applications that are assigned to that user and then attach those applications. All of this happens in a seamless and quick fashion, but allows us to basically build that desktop on the fly for the user as they log in. Um, so it doesn't matter which desktop they log into, whether they've ever logged into that particular desktop before or it's their first time. Once their profile and applications have been predefined through through the FSLogix process or through AppAttach, um, this experience just happens in a, a seamless fashion every time that user logs in. So if we look at traditional application delivery versus this AppAttach process, um, you can see this really helps us streamline the overall process. So where historically, if we had different departments or different teams, um, you know, we would often look to build personal desktops for each of those users. You know, that would require us to maintain multiple images, uh, each maintaining user profile, common applications, and then vertical or, or departmental specific applications to create that custom experience for the user. In Windows Virtual Desktop, um, we're able to get away with a, a single golden image. Um, as there's really no data that's stored inside that image. The, the image pretty much stays pristine, um, and we leverage the FSLogic user roaming profile and MSIX app attached to build that VM on the fly. So in, in the right-hand side, as the user logs in, you will see that the user profile gets attached, common applications get attached, and then the vertical or department-specific applications get attached, building, again, that image on the fly. 
this can significantly reduce the amount of time and effort required to support this infrastructure on in an ongoing basis, as we don't really have anything embedded or, or buried inside of the actual VM itself that requires continued maintenance. So many of you may be aware of Azure uh, Lab Services, um, which is a comparative solution. Uh, with this, I'm gonna hand things back over to Karen, who's gonna talk about the differences between Windows Virtual Desktop and Azure Lab Services. Thank you, Bill. Uh, live in conversation in the EDU area. So let's touch on briefly on Lab Services. So Lab Services was built for education scenarios, and it is really designed for a student workload. It's got the idea of a an instructor publishing a, uh, a lab experience to a student list, to a set of students or a schedule, uh, a scheduled amount of times. So there's an idea of a connection between the instructor and the student and, and lab services. It is a one-to-one -one VM to user. That's probably the number one little uh, comment there. As you saw, Windows Virtual Desktop can accommodate multiple users on a single VM. Lab Services is one-to-one. -one. It can also do things like nested virtualization. So we often get asked for a scenario, for example, where a student is required to execute like a malware uh, effort against a vulnerable host. You could take one single good size VM, put two little nested VMs inside and accommodate that. The other scenario with lab services is lab services, you can be a full admin on those VMs. So you could give a VM to a student, give them full admin credentials and let them go, you know, let them do whatever they need to do. You can see on the IT area there that there is a lot of delegation and not a lot of IT touch when it comes to lab services. It's simply a matter of creating some VM images letting, and letting uh, non-technical folks do those publishing. And the last piece on the metering with lab services is lab services has the concept of schedules and quotas. So you manage access to the labs, lab VMs as over a set of scheduled times. So start time, end time, the way you would think of in a classroom scenario or quota hours that you would give to a student to execute a specific lab experience. So let's contrast. If that's what lab services is and does, when we look at Windows Virtual Desktop, how's that Different. Well, Windows Virtual Desktop, although we've made it a lot simpler, it is still very much a IT-driven experience that you're really having an IT, a central IT team, create a set of, um, of VMs and provide those to your, uh, to your users. It's also more designed to be a service that's, that's available on an ongoing basis scale up and scale down, but mostly available. As you can see, in this scenario with Windows Virtual Desktop, while we've also got great ways to publish applications, it still is driven through IT. So if a professor or an instructor was to look for another, um, another piece of software, 
they would request get that access done through IT versus the self-service model of lab services. And then lastly, of course, you're a regular user on that Windows Virtual Desktop VM versus being able to be that top-level, high-level, high-privilege user on your lab services VM. What we find is that organizations are looking at both solutions to optimize. So if, for example, I might have a, a class that has really needs a very uh, significant amount of resources for their students, of a student-facing scenario, I might, instead of creating a really big host pool with really big VMs, I might say, let's use lab services for that one because it's e I can schedule it, just give students for you know access for a short amount of time and then shut it down. It can be very efficient because of that. Only used when needed, shut down otherwise. The other scenario we haven't touched on in detail around Windows Virtual Desktop, but has also come up a lot with my uh, with my school board and school division customers, is secure remote access. So you may have administrators or uh, teachers who need to get access to line of business applications that are inside your uh, inside your network, and they may not have a managed machine. And so being able to use something like Windows Virtual Desktop so that they don't VPN into your environment from an unmanaged machine. They're simply connecting up to a separate service. Remote app's a great model for that one, to a rich client application, or even just a segregated environment, so we're not providing them direct access to anything that's inside of your environment. We're not only handling a security requirement, which is super key, we're also giving them a better end user experience because we're not having to manage or troubleshoot the VPN experience. And those connections are going through a VPN between Azure and your on-premises environment, not a finite VPN appliance like you might be running inside your, your, um, your, your, uh, your data center. So that is a place where clearly Windows Virtual Desktop is going to have some uh, great applicability. Uh, versus say lab services, which is very much a student-facing workload. Uh, personally, I, I like choice. I like our customers having choice and figuring out when you're looking at all the things you need to deploy for your different use cases for learn at home, work at home, you're, you have options to solve for that across different services in Azure. So we encourage you to kick the tires on these lab services. It's super easy to set up and kick tires. We've made a ton of work to make Windows Virtual Desktop that experience as well. But let's, you know, let give, you know, take a look at them, try them out, see what those experiences are, and figure out how to best optimize them for your environment. So, Bill, it's back to you. Thanks, Karen. I think you covered all this content as well. Um, there's sort of two slides around lab services. Um, the, the one other thing I will note is, again, lab services is obviously designed for an end user, or sorry, student community versus Windows Virtual Desktop that can support both your faculty and students with one common platform, which I would think would be a value. Um, we've talked about what Windows Virtual Desktop is and what it brings to uh, 
brings to market. So as, as noted, there's a number of unique differences to from you know Windows Virtual Desktop, Windows Virtual Desktop, excuse me, versus traditional uh, on-prem VDI style solutions. Um, hopefully, in, in today's session, you guys have seen some information of note and some and some interest. Uh, for those organizations or institutions that would like to to dive deeper into Windows Virtual Desktop, uh, we encourage you to reach out to us at cloud at proserveit.com. Uh, we do have a proof, proof of concept initiative we've put together uh, that helps you deploy Windows Virtual Desktop for up to 25 users. You can see through the, the tasks there, uh, we'll help you understand staff and student needs and requirements. Uh, we'll walk through planning and design sessions to help uh, build a solution that's going to mes best meet your needs. Uh, work with you to implement Windows Virtual Desktop for, for up to 25 users. Uh, configure and deploy up to, uh, up to three MSIX-based applications, so you can see that new user experience, and then provide knowledge transfer. Really, the intent of this proof of concept is to get you uh, running in, in Windows Virtual Desktop, get a, a reasonably sized infrastructure up and running so you can see the experience of what it takes to actually plan and to build, as well as give you an opportunity to kick the tires and get a better sense as to what uh, what the solution can actually do in your specific environment. So as mentioned, if you know if you have additional questions that we don't answer today, want to better understand WVD or understand how it might be usable inside of your 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 specific environment, we encourage you to reach out to us at cloud.prosterit.com. And with that, I think we're going to open the door to some questions and answers. Thanks, Bill. You're right. We're going to take this opportunity to answer a few questions. I think we'll all agree that the content was amazing. And um, we got a couple of questions here in the chat window, sorry, in the questions tab. So, Bill, if you're all right with this, I'll read a couple of them to you. You guys can answer it. And for the audience members, if you have questions and have not posted them in the questions tab, Please don't hesitate to do that now. Uh, we have a few minutes here, so we'll be able to take a few questions if you add them into the questions tab. So Bill, the first question that I'm seeing here is, how does Windows Virtual Desktop handle audio video sessions such as Microsoft Teams? Great question. So this is something that has been uh, a challenge in the past through these types of, of VDI sessions, um, providing a, a full fidelity audio video experience is, is often challenging when we're running through multiple hops from our, our on-prem desktop to our VDI desktop, potentially to cloud services to the other person's desktop. We have multiple hops there that can often introduce lags and delays uh, when, when trying to provide audio and especially video conferencing. Microsoft has made inroads uh, into addressing this for, for Microsoft Teams clients. Um, so there is in, in preview right now an opportunity to look at AV redirection, where basically the host machine um, that the, the WVD session is running from, that the host machine establishes a connection to the remote endpoint with Teams. Um, and so you're doing audio video redirection, basically host to host. The session is still running inside of the Windows Virtual Desktop session, uh, but you're leveraging that host to host connection to provide a, a far faster experience, which gives us that better fidelity for audio video. Um, this is in preview right now. There are options available to, to configure this for testing purposes. This will be a Teams-specific um, scenario. So if you're using other video conferencing solutions, uh, mileage will presumably vary as they won't be able to take advantage of this AV redirection component. Uh, but for those organizations who've made investments in Teams, um, like I said, there's absolutely a solution in place um, currently in preview 
uh, soon to be general availability that addresses that challenge so we can provide that that um, end user experience that we expect from from that type of conferencing solution. Excellent. Thank you, Bill. Um, second question I have here. How does Windows VD manage scaling? Great question. So we've talked about scaling a little bit throughout this session. Um, and Karen sort of touched on it in the, the UMass example as well. We have a couple different ways in which we scale infrastructure. Um, so either we can choose a depth first or breadth, breadth first scenario. Uh, depth first being where we load one particular VM until we get to a certain threshold. So in Karen's example, um, the way UMass had it configured, once they reach an 80% uh, utilization on the first VM, they start to allocate users to that second VM. This is your most cost-effective means as it allows you to fully utilize that, that first virtual machine before you introduce another one into the pool or start to leverage resources on it. In a breadth first scenario, rather than stacking users on one machine until you reach a utilization point, with breadth first, we're actually going to load one user per VM until each of the VMs has an active user and then start again at the beginning and start loading a second user. So we'll be able to maximize the number of resources available to each given user in session until we reach capacity on that VM. The way we actually deploy uh, scaling is we build out that infrastructure upfront based off of what we understand the overall uh, user pool is going to look like for that particular host pool. Right? So maybe we need to build 10 VMs or 20 VMs, whatever that looks like. Um, and then what ends up happening is, you know, all the machines get shut down except for that, that core base. So in the UMass example, we had three VMs that were running on a continuous basis. This ensures that there's a minimum number of uh, hosts available for users to be able to log in. And then as the demand on the infrastructure continues to grow, we are able to build out that infrastructure by spinning up some of those other pre-provisioned VMs. We also have the ability to build rules on how we manage load. Um, so we can define what we have as peak hours. So maybe it's a standard nine to five or, or eight to four, eight to six, whatever that looks like for, for you. Um, you can define you know, where your peak periods are to ensure that you have sufficient desktops to, to support that. And then as you move into off-peak hours, you have the ability to actually drain users. Um, so you can shift active users to consolidate them onto a, a minimum number of desktops, which allows you to shut down the additional VMs you're not using, which again, can have a significant savings on cost. So there's a wide range of ways in which we can access or, or manage scale, um, but that, that's pretty much the, the but not, nuts and bolts of it, excuse me. Excellent, thank you, Bill. We have one last question and then I think we'll wrap for the day. Um, the question from Greg is, Karen mentioned OneDrive in Windows Virtual Desktop. Does that include KFM or does FSLogic's profile technology prevent that from being used? So Karen, I don't know if you have an answer. I'm not familiar with KFM. So yeah, I, I personally, I'm not uh, familiar with that. I, I think there may be a question or that might be around how we do authentication to that. And clearly um, that would be a, um, that's gonna get driven off of your login in Office 365. But sorry, you have a stunt. Um, <laughs> we'll, uh, We'll take a look at that and, and come back and come back to you. Yeah, it looks like Greg actually clarified. So KFM uh, known folder move. Oh. <laughs> Thank oh, you for the clarification. Okay. <laughs> In a world of Microsoft acronyms, it's always there's always one more to learn. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so using FS Logics, we eliminate um, folder redirection, folder move. So again, what ends up happening is um, 
FS Logic contains all the user profile information on a standalone VHD that gets attached as part of the login process. So from a Windows 10 perspective, it's treated much like a local profile. Uh, it, the, the VM doesn't understand that the user profile information is stored separately in a VHD, much as it doesn't understand applications or external. They all get blended into a, a single unified experience. Uh, but we don't, when the user logs into the desktop, all their, their native folders, so, you know, my desktop, sorry, my documents, my pictures, desktop, all those can be redirected out to that external VHD. So all the user data that they require is immediately accessible to them. And again, the benefit here is, especially for organizations that have made investments in Office 365, you know, we need to have a positive end user experience for Outlook, for example. We really need to be running Outlook in cached mode. Um, so we need that local OST file. And that's typically been a bane of, of existence for a number of IT administrators and VDI environments. This profile solution allows us to eliminate that as we're able to store that OST file or, or OneDrive cache or all that data just natively on that external VHG that gets attached at login and is immediately available. Um, so we don't need to, do need to worry about moving folders or redirection or, or reaching out to external data sources for, for uh, user profile information. All of it's just immediately available at login stored on that separate VHD. Awesome. Thank you for that, Bill. I lied. Um, we have a couple more minutes, and I think we can take one more question if you're okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So this question from Nicholas says, I put in Windows Virtual Desktop two months ago with PowerShell scripts, but now I see that we have a GUI in Azure web page. When I open the service, I don't see my pool. Is this normal? Good question. Yeah, I think you have to move those host pools uh, over to the ARM template, and that's why you don't see them. So last time I checked, I think they have some scripts that are published to move from the spring release to the, uh, sorry, the fall release to the spring release. So keep an eye out for those. What that would do is it would take all those host pool configurations and migrate them to the ARM uh, environment at that point you're going to see your host pools okay thank you for that appreciate both of you fielding the questions i think as we're approaching the hour here um, this is a the appropriate time for us to bring the webinar to a close for those on the line if you have more questions if um, you're a little shy today to post them in the question tab feel free to forward those to cloud at proserve it and together we'll address those questions and we'll get them back to um, to you as the question uh, poster. And with that, I want to thank Bill and Karen for taking us through this amazing content. I think everyone would agree that it was highly educational and completely re relevant to today's situations. I'd also like to thank the audience for sticking with us throughout the entire time. I've noticed a couple drop off as we get to the end of the day but do appreciate you participating and asking the, those wonderful questions. Everyone have a wonderful day. Please stay safe. We look forward to having you join us on our future webinars. Have a good day. Take care.